So there's, there's a, in the section that we're at, there's a lot happening. There's a lot happening in the book of Joshua at this point. There's some big, it's a condensed period of just a couple of days, but in this couple of days, there's a lot going on. And, and God kind of warns them in advance. He said, there's a lot going on here. And so I want you to set yourselves apart. I want you to get ready. I want you to spiritually prepare yourselves. He says, I want you to consecrate yourselves. Now, what does that mean? To to Prepare yourselves spiritually. Make yourselves holy. Prepare yourselves for God's unique purpose for you. You see, things that were consecrated, things that were designated as holy, were used for particular purposes only. The priests were consecrated for their particular unique work as priests. The articles of the tabernacle were consecrated for that unique particular work as an article in the tabernacle only, not to be used for other stuff. So he tells these people, consecrate yourselves. You as my people for the unique particular work that I have made you for. Because there's a lot about to happen in these next couple of days that involve things like this pillar of stones. For us it's the same. We, we, perhaps, perhaps you're here this morning because you are a believer in Jesus. You are a follower of Jesus. You want to walk with him. You are part of his body, the church. And so you are part of this church. And yet, in that walk with the Lord, in that relationship with the Lord, in that spiritual life, which is a journey, it's a step-by-step. It's not unlike that backpacking trip that we're going to be doing. That sometimes it's a bit of a steep climb. Sometimes it's through beautiful terrain, and sometimes it's through something that seems a little barren and dry. But it's a, it's, a, it's a journey, it's progress on the way to a destination that God has set before us, promised to us. So, but in the midst of that journey, in the midst of your spiritual life, perhaps you had thought, it seems like it should be more than this. I would like this to be more than it is. I feel like I, 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 I should, I feel like in my life there should be less wavering and more, more clarity and certainty in my own mind about who God is and what he has done. I, I feel like my own life should be more like Jesus. I can, I can get dressed up and I can, I, can, I can put it on for Sunday morning and when people are going to be around, but then when I'm on my own or by myself or with other people, it's not quite the same. I'd, I'd like for there to be more of Christ in my life there. I'd like to experience more victory in my spiritual life against the enemy and against his temptations that so easily come to me, drag me down. I would like to be a bolder, clearer witness to, toward others of faith in Jesus and how they could know him too. I, I would like to have a richer, deeper prayer fellowship with my Savior. Perhaps something in there um, connects with you about what you would like your spiritual life to be because we're not, none of us, while we're here, none of us have yet arrived at our destination that, that he who began a good work in us is continuing to do it until the day of Christ. And, and we're on this journey. There are steps yet before us. And what can be helpful to us? 
What I want to share this morning out of another people's journey, out of another people's progress, I want to share for us this morning next steps into this new life. Because we, like Israel, have been promised a new life. Not, by, not led into it by Joshua, but by Jesus. And we've talked before about the parallels between the two. Jesus is kind of the new Joshua. Joshua takes Moses' place, and he, he leads them into what Moses could not, and yet Jesus, fuller still, entering, lead, leads God's people into the rest of spiritual life in Christ that is, that is meant to be ours. And as a follower of Jesus, as one who is born again with the spirit of the living God within us, we hunger for more of that. We hunger for a next step. And so there's, there's some parallels between a lot that goes on in a couple of days here in chapters 3 to 5. There's some parallels for our next steps into our new life. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So I'm, so I'm going to jump in. I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of read through some highlights of the story. You can, you can then return. Perhaps you've already done it. You, you saw the blast. You saw chapters 3 to 5. You've read that. You know the storyline already before we even start this morning. I'm going to read some of the highlights. And if the story's a little unfamiliar to, it, to you, you can go back then and read the rest of it. But I want us to, out of those highlights, there's Four, four things I want to talk about concerning next steps into new life. So here they are at the River Jordan. We left the, we left the story last time. The spies had come back from Jericho, and uh, they had given a good report on how terrified the enemies in the land are, the people of Jericho and everybody else. It's ready to go. God is going to give us this land just like he had promised. And so we come into chapter 3, and I'm going to jump down to verse 10. And Joshua has been getting the people ready. He's told them, consecrate yourself, prepare yourselves, because the, the, the Lord your God is about to move. And now in verse 10, Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, everybody. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. He is not simply their God. He is the Lord of all the earth. He is the owner of everything. He made it. It all belongs to him. The Lord of all the earth will pass over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe of man, and when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above will stand up in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as Jordan, the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into just the brink, just the edge of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all of its bank through the time of harvest. And the waters coming down from above stood up and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those following, flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Dead Sea, were completely cut off. So the water is cut off above and the water is cut off below. So there's no water now in front of them where the Jordan had just been. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. 
And so they pass over the Jordan, and this is meant to remind you of the Red Sea. Moses and the Red Sea, and now Joshua and the Jordan River. They are coming out of, first they were coming out of Egypt into God's promise. And now they're coming out of a wandering through the wilderness into the experience of that promised land 40 years later. The 40-year delay because of unbelief. Now we'll pick it up on the other side of the Jordan River. They've come through. And those 12 men picked up 12 stones. I want to pick it up in verse 19 of chapter 4. The people came out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. And they encamped at Gilgah on the far east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let them know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. What God has done for them is going to be a testimony to their children, to the next generation, and that all the earth may know. Chapter 5, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were behind the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, as soon as they heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they crossed over, their hearts melted. And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. And, the, and, and, and at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the son of Israel at Gibeah. And so there they are in the midst of, they've just crossed over. Their enemies are completely afraid. And what are they going to do? They're going to have a surgery party. <laughs> that seems a little odd. But that's what they do. So they, they, uh, they circumcise Israel, it says, a second time. And that raises all kinds of questions for you. Because you thought this was a one-time deal. You thought you can only do this once. They circumcised Israel a second time. And then, after they've done that, get down to verse 8. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places at the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is Gilgal to this day. And while the people were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover. On the 14th day of the month, in the evening, on the plains of Jericho, and the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes, and parched grain. And the manna ceased after they ate the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. This promised land that God has now led them into. The days of the wilderness are past and they have taken their first steps into a new life. This is no longer the desert. This is no longer the wandering of the wilderness making our way in rebellion and unbelief. Now we have stepped into this new life by faith in our God and we are already tasting the first fruits of it. That's Israel's story. And it's also ours. We also have been called into a new life by God. We have been miraculously called into that life and we are then invited by our God, called by our God, compelled by our God, by his spirit who is continuing his work in us to take next steps into this new life. 
There's four things generally that I want to point out of these four episodes. The crossing the Jordan, the, 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 the making of a memorial, the putting up of a pillar, the, the, the um, surgery party on the other side of Jordan, right out in front of Jericho. Seems a strange place to do all of that. And then, before they advance, before before they, 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 they press the attack on Jericho, they all go to church. They celebrate Passover. There's something there for us in each of these. The first thing I want to suggest, out of the first one, going through the waters, is that any of us, if we're going to take a next step in our spiritual life, if we're going to take a next step in this new life that God has given us, it's going to be to step into faith for yourself. You cannot ride into God's promised land piggyback. You're going to have to step into this new life for yourself. You're going to have to take your own step of faith. God had led a generation out of Egypt, and they had passed through the Red Sea. And then, because of unbelief, they didn't go into the promise. And so now they've wandered for 40 years, and there are many who were born who never experienced the Red Sea. It's 40 years later. They didn't experience that. They don't know anything. They have heard of what God has done, but they don't know it for themselves. It's not unlike those of us that are in, have grown up in Christian families. Or maybe you've grown up in a Christian influence. You figured you grew up in a Christian nation. Well, sure, we're all Christians here. That's what the rest of the world thinks about America. We're all Christians here. It's a Christian nation, right? No, there are Christians within the nation. And there has been a varying influence over the years in our society. But nobody's a Christian because they're born around here. We need to step into this faith for ourselves. Specifically, this going through the water. The going through the water, the going through the, of the Jordan was, was a, a, um, a round two, in a sense, for the nation that had already experienced through death into new life. That's what the Red Sea was about. They are caught up against the Red Sea. The armies of Egypt are pressing in behind them, and they can't swim. They are trapped, and yet God parts the waters, and they go across on dry land. The same certain death for them now becomes an entrance through that certain death into new life, and the armies of Egypt are destroyed, and even Jericho heard about it. And now they're doing it again. No, no, they're not doing it again. God is doing it again because God wants them to experience the same thing. They are going to need to step in. They're going to do the same thing. They're going to walk across with the water walled up here and the water blocked down here. And don't think about, well, how did God do that? Maybe there was, a, maybe there was an earthquake, and the earthquake provided, caused a mudslide. And the mudslide dammed up the Jordan up here and down there. Wow. But what about the tributaries in between those two mudslides? Oh, those tributaries must have also had lots of little mudslides because of the same earthquake. And it all then came together again at the same time. Well, that's possible. But I think you're wasting your time when you try to humanly explain what God has done. We try to figure out what's a, what's a way that all of this, this miraculous thing that God has done, would be humanly possible. Isn't, doesn't that sort of miss the whole point of the miraculous thing that God has done? Why would we try to explain God in human terms? It's been said that in the beginning, God made man in his own image. And ever since, man has been returning the favor. We try to explain God on our terms instead of submitting ourselves to God on his terms. He has invited this next generation of Israel to step into that same Red Sea 
deliverance, salvation into new life experience. And he invites you and I the same thing. What is it about Red Sea going through water that relates to us as Christians today? Are we supposed to all convene this afternoon at the Columbia? And Bob is going to be there and Bob is going to wave his arms or, or have a staff or something. And all of a sudden, wouldn't it be something? It isn't going to happen. God hasn't called that to happen. God has given us something else that every one of us are supposed to, in faith, in Christ, participate in. And, 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 and Paul has made the connection of from the Red Sea experience of Israel and Israel's identification with Moses through the waters, in the sea, and in the cloud, that that compares to Christian's baptism. He does that in 1 Corinthians 10. He does it in, 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 in Romans chapter 6. That in baptism, we have gone through these waters into death, buried with Jesus, so that we are also raised with Jesus into new life. One of the ways that we step into, it's not quite as miraculous, because let's face it, nobody has drowned in our baptismal. Okay, So it's not as miraculous as the Jordan River. There's no dry ground there except after you get out. But there's an object lesson that God has continued to give his church. When, when God was preparing his people for the coming of their king, for the coming of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is at hand. His messenger is saying, and what does John the Baptist do? John the Baptist comes baptizing in the River Jordan. That's where this thing starts again. It, it, it follows on from Naaman the leper from Syria who was also baptized seven times, in fact, in that same dirty river Jordan. But for you and I, a next step, a first next step in our faith in Christ is to declare that faith publicly, to make a, take a next step into it by saying, I will identify myself publicly before others. It's scary because you are scary people. It's terrifying to be up here in front of all of you. And yet, a timid follower of Jesus will say, I will do that. Because this is something God has given me. Even in the terror of what others are going to think, I am going to declare my faith in Jesus. In this odd and peculiar thing we do about going underwater and then back up again because... Romans 6 says, we are buried with Christ into his death and we are raised in him to walk in new life. And in some tangible physical way, we step into that as a declaration of our faith just because that's what Jesus told us to do. Go, make disciples. And part of that making disciples is baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's an odd, thing, odd strange thing we do. I couldn't try to explain it sociologically but I can explain it theologically, that our Lord has given us to do this. And we don't need to explain it on our terms. We need to submit to it on his terms. That he has given us an object lesson by which we take a next step into this new life. There are some of you here this morning that have believed in Jesus Christ. For some time, you've been a believer in Jesus. I want to follow Jesus, you say. One thing I would urge you to do, take that next step. Not because of Bob's counting baptisms. That's not it at all. But because for you, this is a next step where you will stand before others in some awkwardness. And I'm going to ask you, why do you come to be baptized? You're going to say, I don't know. Because I was told I'm supposed to do this. Because I believe in Jesus as my Savior. I'm publicly before everybody identifying myself with Jesus who died for me and rose again. That's it. Because he said to. And taking that next public before others 
strange, we've done this together for 2,000 years thing is a next solidifying, strengthening. There is some kind of grace in that, that when I, by faith, step into what God has told me to do, there's spiritual courage there. There's spiritual strength there. And you need that in all kinds of corners of life on this spiritual journey as you take next steps. So for some of you, that step, the step for you to take next is right out of that Jordan River experience that God has taken them into new life. Now, as you take steps, as you have done that, as you've experienced the Lord's goodness and God has provided for you in in some miraculous ways, and Pastor Evan had us remember some of those earlier in the service, then we need to make a way to tell others about that. You see, for some of you, it's, I need to take a next step in baptism. For some of you, I need to remember what God has done since then. I need to remember my baptism or a step that I took out of that. I need to tell others about it. That's what that pillar of stone is about. They set that up particularly. This is the first national park of Israel, Gilgal Park. What was it there for? They're going to they're gonna bring their kids camping. Imagine it, Israel family camp. And they all get there and the kiddies are there and they're running around and some of them stumble over these rocks and say, what are these rocks doing here? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about those rocks. Those rocks were the rocks that actually came out of the river, the River Jordan. How'd they get out of the river? How did they get away? How'd they get through the water? you You can't see anything in that muddy water. That's true. You can't see anything in that muddy water. But God dried up the water. God parted the Jordan just like before that. He parted the Red Sea. You see how it's become an opportunity when the kids ask the question to tell a story about look what God has done. We need to make time to talk about it. Not just take time to talk about it. But we need to intentionally look for ways to make opportunities to tell our children or to tell others around us. I remember Scotty Warden. Scotty, are you here today? Scotty, don't see Scotty in the room. All right, but he was telling me about in uh, in your home, you had this one particular framed Arabic script, and it was a passage that, that, that related to his faith as a follower of Jesus, and it's in Arabic. So people who would visit the home, one of the first things they would see is this framed script on the wall. And it fostered all kinds of conversations. It, it led to all kinds of questions. And discussion, that's exactly what it was supposed to do. What will we do? What odd and peculiar thing might we do that we do simply for the reason of getting people to ask us a question that we can give then an answer? Oh, let's go back to the baptism thing again. Hey, come to church next week or the following. Why? Because I'm going to be baptized. What is that all about? I don't really know either, but it's this thing that Jesus tells us to do and we've believed in him. And it's something that the church is, I'm doing this ancient modern thing, this this thing that that God's people have done for for 2,000 years and it actually has roots going 1,400 years further than that. This is like an old thing that we still do and I'm doing. Come watch. Who knows? Maybe that would be that pillar for them that would cause them to ask, why do you do that? What is that all about? I don't know. I don't know what odd thing it might be for you, but what are the ways? Maybe, maybe in terms of family, it's family devotions. We would do devotions together as a family. You know, it's a funny thing. My, my, I wouldn't have thought this would happen this way, but my doctoral dissertation came out of some, some shared family readings we were doing with a couple of our kids. 
And uh, I was saying, hey, let's read the minor prophets together. I mean, who does that anymore? Let's read the minor prophets. Everybody read them in the morning in your own quiet time. And then let's come together in the afternoon or evening and we'll talk about certain things about what you saw there. In fact, I was saying, look for things that relate to how the prophets got their message across. Because I need help in getting my message across. And so, there, so, so Pastor Bob became a family work project, okay? We were workshopping this together. But out of that came, came a doctoral dissertation and a, and a book out of family devotions. Causing questions to be asked that we, that we could then dig into the answers together. Maybe, maybe there's a devotional book that you'll read with somebody else and you'll just talk about it, interact about it together back and forth. But find ways to talk about others concerning your faith that you grow together, they have the opportunity. Make time to talk about it. Peter says, in the midst of an of a, of a, of a ungodly generation, a generation that doesn't live in reference to God at all, in the midst of such a generation... Live your life in devotion to God. Live your life in obedience to God. Be willing to be different and put up with some harassment. They're going to give you a hard time. They're going, to, they're going to poke at you about it. They might ridicule you some about it. But be willing to be different. And then when they ask you, why don't you come with us to this? Why don't you join us in this? Why don't you do that? Don't say because it's against the rules. The Bible somewhere says, I'm not supposed to do that. No, it's Peter says, be different and be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. A lot of times people think that we are just stuck on rules about what we're supposed to do and not do. The things that we do ought to be driven by our faith in God and our hope in him. And our confidence that our satisfaction, our joy will be found not in something else, but in Jesus alone. Make time to talk about it. Third step. Third step they take. There they are. They're across the other side. It's exciting times. It's heady time. The enemy is shaking in their boots. Israel's going into surgery. Israel's all lining up for all the men. How do you circumcise Israel a second time? Because everybody was circumcised before the Passover. Everybody was circumcised. Not everybody, all the men. All the men were circumcised when they came up out of Egypt. And yet, through the wilderness wanderings, they had decided they were not going to trust God. There was a series along the way of rebelling against God and going their own way And in the midst of that, the people did not continue celebrating Passover and circumcising their sons. They they laid aside Abraham's covenant, the covenant that God had made with Abraham, the promise God had given to Abraham, and the mark by which he'd given Abraham and his descendants to indicate that they believed God and were a part of that promise. They simply... They left that somewhere in the desert and forgot about it. And God apparently doesn't remind them of this all along the way because God's, not, God's purpose is not outward conformity. Fill the squares. Do the religious things you're supposed to do. That's not God's deal. What God desires of us is a people who will trust him, follow him, out of faith because we believe him. God wants us. To, I'm, I'm convinced this, this, this journey, the spiritual life that we are on, the, the message over and over again that we keep circling around at new levels is this. Will you trust me? 
Will you trust me instead of seeking your fulfillment, your aim, your goal, your, your whatever it is that you're hungry for in something else other than him? Will you trust me? So they, had already, they determined, no, we will not. No, we do not. We're going to go our way. In fact, Egypt looks better to us than trusting God. And so they had made themselves. No, Abraham's promise, apparently it's not for us. And so it wasn't, it wasn't practiced among them all this time. And now you've got, you've got a, 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 this new generation, this whole generation that wasn't circumcised as, as a mark of Abraham's covenant, yet now they're going into the promise. Just as God had said, now they're entering in. What's missing? The, the mark that they would take upon themselves that would indicate that they were the sons of Abraham who believed in God's promise to Abraham as Moses had then reinforced it in the covenant of Sinai with this unique nation of people as God's own possession. Okay, so that's missing. That hasn't been done. Now they're going to step back into it. All those that haven't been now, now is the time. But you say, we seem out of order. They have already entered into the land. They have already, they have already crossed over the Jordan. Why are they now going to be circumcised after they've crossed over the Jordan? There's two problems with that. First of all, we would say, if they're going to disable themselves and need a couple days to recover, shouldn't they keep the Jordan as a boundary between them and their enemies? So God moves them to the other side where they're going to be vulnerable and have to trust him. Not only that, But why does God bring them into the land, bring them into the promise, and then require of them that they take the mark of faith as God gave it to Abraham? Shouldn't they have done that first in order to qualify to come into God's promise? Well, God has a pattern. God always seems to give before he calls us to respond. God gives to us graciously. God gives us this new life in Jesus Christ just to receive. Believe it, receive it, and then live in light of it. Then he calls us to walk worthy of the calling by which we have been called. Then he calls us to lay aside the old man and to live new, and that's what's going on with the circumcision. You see, when Paul picks up this whole idea of circumcision, he says, you know, it's really not about the fleshly thing at all. It's really not about the body thing at all. It's not about the physical circumcision. There's a spiritual thing going on here. It's not about physical circumcision of the flesh. It's about the circumcision of the heart. Now, is Paul just making something new up? Is Paul just taking Moses and reinterpreting him in a whole new way that is uh, less painful? No. Moses both in Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 30, Moses points that this circumcision is a circumcision of your heart. It's a changing of your heart. Jeremiah in chapter 9 says the same thing. So this is not a new thought in the Old Testament. And so there's an image given us there that we can learn from. That if we're going to take a next step in a spiritual life, we're going to take that next step in faith by laying aside the old flesh, laying aside our, our fleshly humanity, who we are naturally, laying something of that aside in order to live new in a new life that God has called us to and laid out before us. He gives us entrance into it. But in order to take the next steps forward in that new life, there's something of the old fleshly life we're going to have to lay beside. We're going to have to lay behind. 
I'm not sure what that is for you right now, today, on where you are in your journey, but there's something. There's some habit. There's something else that you get fulfillment from. There's something else that you trust in. There's some reserve where your confidence is that this is going to be your provision. You believe in God, but you know, you... I believe in God, but I'm going to lock my car. I believe in God, but I'm going to sock away all that I can in the bank. I'm not saying you shouldn't lock your car, and I'm not saying you shouldn't save. But what do we rely on? What, 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 what old habit, or not really habit, what tendency, what characteristic of who Bob is naturally as a fallen human needs to be laid aside? It might be my impatience. It might be my root selfishness. This is something we can all identify with. A selfishness that I put myself and my own need before others. There there are particular tendencies. There are easily besetting sins. These are part of our natural tendencies. He said, I was born this way. This is just me. This is you in fallen humanity. And little by little, God would cut that away. And he'll remove parts of that. And what will be left, it's, it's, it's like a, an ugly block of marble that everybody else had rejected that Michelangelo begins to carve away at and chip away at. And eventually you have this beautiful statue of David. But wait, that's only David. What God is cutting away, the old to reveal within you is the new life of Jesus himself. That which we long for, a little bit more of Christ in my life, that's exactly what God would be doing. That's exactly what he would be calling us to step into. Laying aside something of the flesh, laying aside something of our natural humanity, and I will trust God in this. How do we do that? Much like they did. They stepped back into that circumcision, that rite of circumcision that they're given. This was given to Abraham and all of his descendants. This was reaffirmed by Moses at Mount Sinai, and they all, they all, um, affirmed an agreement. This we will do. And now it was a time to return to. If we, if we are going to take next steps into God's promise, we need his word. What am I supposed to do? How shall we live? One of the things he tells them right up front in chapter 3, we read past that part, but one of the things he, that opens chapter 3 is he says, you're going to have to follow the Lord because you've never been this way before. You and I don't know the way into the new life farther than we've been. Where is God calling you next? What challenge is he putting before you? What, what does he want of me? What next will he change in me? What next should Bob really confront and confess and lay aside? I don't know yet. I haven't been this way before. I'm going step by step just like you. And yet, as we do, He is faithful. He continues that work. And that's why we need his work, his his word. We need his word to to show us the way, to point us the direction, to to enter by faith and continue in obedience. 90% of the Christian life is taking a next step in obedience to God's word. It's being confronted there and agreeing with God and yielding to what it is that God has said. Taking God's word in faith leads to walking by faith. I walk, I step, I make the next decision. 
I leave something behind. I confess something. I, I, I lift this to God. I say, God, you change this. God, search me, O oh God, and try my heart. Search me and know my mind. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in your everlasting way. And God will do that according to his word as we yield ourselves to it. Next step is to leave the flesh and live new. Do that in one new way. If you're not sure what that is right now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what is that new way because the Spirit of God has already been talking about it. You've already bumped into it in his word. You know what it should be. But if you don't, say, Lord, I want to take another step this week. I want to take a step this week. God, as I read your word and as I give myself to it, would you show me, would you show me one next step that I can take in obedient, yielded submission to you because I trust you. And I'm confident that God will show you what that next step could be, how you'll, you, you can give yourself away. You can yield something of yourself to him. You can give yourself away in some way for somebody else. And more of Christ will be lived out in your life. Finally, they pause for Passover. They put worship first. We need this. We need to gather like this. Not because Bob has some keen insight that you will never hear anywhere else. And you better be here on Sunday to hear it. I, I don't have those kind of uh, misconceptions about myself. But what I do know is we need the body of Christ together. Hebrews says it this way. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together to miss those outstanding sermons that are going to be there. That isn't what it says, is it? As good as they are. No, no, it's not that. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. But, but assemble yourselves together to provoke one another to love and good deeds. And do this all the more as you see the day approaching. So as, as harder as it gets out there, the more we need one another. And I'll come to church with, with, with a psalm on my lips. I'll come to church ready to pray. I'll come to church with something I've learned of God in the week. Or with a battle that I'm fighting that I need others to join me in. And we will join together and we will encourage one another. We will pray for one another. I'll not leave this place today before I've had some spiritual words with somebody. And in that, we will strengthen one another. We will pour courage into one another. What was the charge to Joshua? Be strong and courageous. And we will pour courage into one another as we encourage one another and provoke one another to love and good deeds. It's not, it's not about you. How about, how about church isn't about you? It's the bloke next to you, right? I used that bloke, David, just for you. That was, that, that was the British thing in the service. Okay, David's covered now. Bottom line, bottom line, we, we, we want to set ourselves apart. We want to, like they, consecrate ourselves wholly for God's purpose for us. We'll do that as we step into faith for ourselves. And whatever that next step is, from baptism all the way to yielding myself for God's purpose in my life. A big way, a little way, some seemingly small obedience that'll make all the difference in my fellowship with him. Or perhaps it'll make the next difference in my fellowship with God. 